Hello, thanks for tuning in. You are listening to another episode of Crash the UK Geek Podcast. This is episode 407, recorded on Monday the 27th of September 2021 at 230148. Here we are again. Hello everyone. It was my birthday yesterday. And I am now, drumroll, doesn't sound like a drumroll, a year older, as of yesterday, how old you may ask. Look, I've been down this road before, revealing my age, and it never ends well, so never you mind. The important thing is, as last year, I forgot my age again, which is what happens when you get older. So, erring on the side of caution, I decided that my age was a little older than it actually was, but blow me down after consulting an online age calculator, such is my deafness with numbers, I found out that I'm a year younger than I thought I was, which is, of course, the best birthday present. Also, due to other miscalculations involving numbers, Halloween is a month away, not a couple of days away, which for some reason, the aging brain, was what I thought a few days ago, and that led to a panic buying of pumpkin, which was unnecessary, but at least now I know that I have the ingredients necessary to make an excellent savoury pumpkin pie on the big day of Halloween. Yeah, I've got my pumpkin, I've got my short crust pastry, probably need some more cheese. But yeah, Halloween is coming. In Halloween-adjacent news, possibly coincidentally... The Celtic time of Samhain, on which Halloween is based. Yeah, we've all seen Season of the Witch. And the Hindu period of the year, Pitru Paksha, both include ceremonies to honour the ancestors. This year, my mum chose Sunday, the same day as my birthday, probably for convenience, killing two birds with one stone and getting two obligations out of the way at the same time, to send my dad, who is the oldest male of the family, off into the garden to offer water and flowers to the ancestors. The parallels between Halloween and Pitru Paksha are interesting, but I'm sure many cultures in similar hemispheres have similar rituals at roughly the same time because so much of religion is based on astronomy and the seasons. However, I also honour my ancestors by pouring some booze, more on booze later, onto the ground on Halloween, because modern Halloween is a favourite festival that I enjoy, so why not make it not just about materialism? In any case, any excuse for a party. Just before we launch into the main part of the show, if you're 
not in the UK, you might not be aware of this, although I think there is also an energy crisis in the US, but yeah, there's an energy crisis in the UK. Gas, as in natural gas prices, have soared due to global demand. I can see this personally in my revised tariffs, which I tweeted and discussed recently. They have gone up incredibly and are really high compared to last year. In addition to that fun that we're enjoying in the UK, because of the UK government's xenophobic attitude to Europe and foreign workers, there aren't enough lorry drivers to deliver petrol. Hence, we are experiencing a fuel crisis as well. We've been told that the government are issuing visas under stringent conditions when what we really need to be doing is blowing the bloody doors off the border. Am I getting more revolutionary the older I get? Maybe. Okay, that is it. Let us launch into the main part of the podcast. And the primary thing I wanted to talk about this week, though there are other exciting topics as well, is Candyman. I finally saw the film. Finally, it's just out. I did not read other reviews. I couldn't avoid everything, unfortunately, but I didn't really pay attention. And as you know, if you listen to this podcast, I do not care a flying fig about the box office figures. I want to re-emphasize that because I know a lot of people geek out about the business side of filmmaking, and there are podcasts out there that will talk about this stuff, but it bores me silly. I'm into story and realization of story and may the gods help me, art. So I'm not going to really talk about that. I'm going to talk about the story, what happens, what I think about it, that kind of thing. Enough waffle. In this latest version of Candyman, a failing artist discovers the curse of the Candyman, or ghost story perhaps, which is if you repeat his name five times into a mirror, he will appear. He is a large man with a hook for a hand. <laughs> which is the sort of thing that has now become a trope, and he will kill you. The artist digs further into this myth and its origin, and becomes embroiled in the story of the Candyman, as he either starts to lose his mind, or it's all real and he's rushing to meet his destiny. There are the usual horror vignettes, a mini-teen side plot, social realism, satire of the art world, etc. And it all ends much in the way you would expect. I loved the original Candyman film. Really loved it. I loved the powerful screen presence of the sublime Tony Todd and the wonderfully charismatic 
Virginia Madsen, who made such a good protagonist. And the beautiful, haunting music of Philip Glass. All that stuff from the original film still gives me goosebumps. As for the source of the Candyman franchise, I'm an aficionado of Clive Barker's Books of Blood. I remember at one point owning most of the series of paperback books that I bought from W.H. Smith in the UK. Man, that shop has had too much of my money. Though I can't quite recall reading a story called The Forbidden, upon which the film is based. Here, the screenplay, apparently a sequel of the original 1992 film, is given the Jordan Peele treatment. Does it stand up? Well, we're about to find out. Let's start off with a bad, so that I can end on a more positive note. So, things that I didn't like, let's tackle those first. I did not like the protagonist. The artist just got on my nerves. With his wasted talent, his morally dubious ethics, and his art gallery artist marketing word salad that made me want to throw up, that bit of satire worked, but did not endear me to the protagonist, which is a problem when you have to empathise with him and see the world through his eyes. I just didn't feel a connection to him. I've talked often enough about the importance of having a protagonist whose skin you can inhabit. Otherwise, the thing that you're watching or reading or listening to just becomes too much of a drain. Getting the audience into the skin of the protagonist is always not an easy thing because sometimes the protagonist is unsympathetic, but you need to tackle that problem, otherwise people will go along with the protagonist but just think, ah, what the hell, I don't care what happens to this person, at which point it's difficult for the audience to be scared on behalf of the protagonist. I hated the main character, being a hipster with that bloody watch cap, that stupid little moleskine notebook, or something of that nature, and his naff earring. I didn't like the film's gore rather than scares. I don't mind gore in movies, but it's got to scare me or do something, make me feel some way. The two early kills that we witnessed in the art gallery were strawberry sauce silliness. I also did not like some of the extra side plots, like those high school girls. That whole episode seemed shoehorned in. After all, this isn't a teen slasher movie. It reminded me of James Herbert's many pulpy vignette kills, though those tend to suit the tone of his writing, whereas this was wholly unsuited to the film. There was also no sense of the original 1992 film's towering gothic romance. The chemistry 
between Tony Todd and Virginia Madsen was in that movie, Palpable, here that's totally lost to tell a very different and more mundane story. This new film steals a little from the film Velvet Buzzsaw in its similar vicious dissection of the art world. Though at this point, it's something that has been satirized so many times, it's a cliche. And for many, many years, I remember a film called The Rebel from 1961, starring Tony Hancock. And then another example is David Thewlis's scene in The Big Lebowski. All those things I didn't like. Let us now wipe our brows and talk a bit about some of the good things. There's some interesting dialogue blaming artists for gentrification, which is unfair, but like all the best insults, contains an element of truth, though skewed. We know the real problem is the greedy property developers and predatory rich who just want, want, want to live in the oh-so-fashionable areas while destroying what made those areas cool in the first place. To the film's credit, this counter-argument is made. Here's an appropriate point for me to insert a tangent. There are a few exceptions to gentrification being a bad thing, I know you're thinking, what? What the hell are you saying? Aren't you left-leaning, Roy? But I'll give you an example. The area in which I grew up, frankly, the rich can take with my blessing and good luck to them. Off tangent and back to some of the good points of this movie. One of the kills, when we see a character in the distance through a window being picked up bodily and tossed around like a rag doll. That was really great. It was disturbing, but not gory to the point of theatrical silliness. It reminded me slightly of a horror version of the events in films like Rear Window. And those are the things that I thought were good. Let me just mention something I noticed at the beginning of the film and I was just curious about. Near the beginning of the film, we are introduced to the ghost storytelling brother of the wife or girlfriend of the artist. And the moment he started telling the story and turning down the lights and everything... I was wondering whether Jordan Peele was sticking a Clive Barker-like character into the movie as a sort of cameo by proxy. Jordan Peele, you are definitely not listening to this, but if you are listening to this, let me know. He's not listening. My conclusion, then, is that this new film, this new version of Candyman, this sequel to the 1992 movie, I feel is relevant to the zeitgeist. We have the spectra of the events that started off Black Lives Matter, police brutality in general, gentrification, but I also feel that the film is jumbled 
with too much going on. And it does not in any way have the mythic grandeur of the original film. One final tangent. I loved that Tony Todd makes a short appearance. Not so much a cameo as just a very short appearance. I worried that I haven't seen Tony Todd much over the years. But a quick look at his filmography, not just filmography, but TV, video games, and other stuff, reassures me that he's never been out of work. Crash salutes the incredible Tony Todd. And that is it for my thoughts on Candyman. I didn't spoil too much, so if you haven't seen it yet, you need to see it. Or you should consider seeing it and then telling me what you think. I don't think it's the best film. I don't think you'll miss a hell of a lot if you don't see it. But if you do see it, let me know your thoughts. If you haven't seen the original film, what the hell are you doing? Get the DVD, get your hands on it, watch it. It is excellent. Let's move on to something else. Malignant. This is a little bit of extra that I'm not sure that I mentioned when I talked about Malignant. And that is to draw your attention to the Seattle underground scenes. This Seattle underground is this kind of tourist attraction where you can go and see the old city that was left behind when they decided to raise the city up and build it higher up, possibly because of floods. I can't really remember the reason for that. I'm guessing floods. Yeah, the old city is still there and you can take tours and go through it. And having the old Seattle underground city as something in Malignant is surely a tribute to the Night Strangler film from 1973, which was the second Carl Kolchak film. Carl Kolchak, the reporter of The Supernatural, played by the incredible Darren McGavin. And I don't want to go off on another tangent just talking about Carl Kolchak, but I've mentioned him so many times in this podcast. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, just Google the name. C-A-R-L-K-O-L-C-H-A-K. And you'll find a whole treasure trove of stuff to watch and read. And it's really excellent. There was a revival of the franchise many, many years later. I think in the 2000s I talked about that. It is abysmal. Forget that. Go back to the 1970s films and TV show. Next, The Handmaid's Tale, at last. This season is over. I have survived this latest season. Though I've heard that the show's creator wants to go on with The Handmaid's Tale forever. I've got to tell him this is where I bow out. And I've said this before, but this time I mean it. I'm not interested in watching another season of The Handmaid's Tale. Our brave protagonist, June, finally escapes Gilead into Canada. 
at bloody well long last, and finally has her revenge. It's a small, though personal and very vicious revenge. However, it is a lot less apocalyptic than what I was hoping for. Honestly, let's nuke Gilead from orbit. Wait a minute, I'm a pacifist? Is a special dispensation permissible? Okay, it's a fictional place, but, you know, I hate Gilead so much. Ugh. Anyway, The Handmaid's Tale, I am done with it. If you are also getting really impatient, watch this last season and then throw in the towel as well. You will not be left wanting more. Moving on to something else in TV, and that is Foundation. Foundation is a TV show adaptation of Isaac Asimov's Golden Age Saga of the Fall and Salvation of a galaxy-spanning empire of the far future. In Foundation, a mathematician named Harry Seldon predicts the demise of civilization and plans a way of shortening the Dark Ages by preserving human knowledge within an Encyclopedia Galactica. I read the novels many, many years ago, and yes, they are different to the Apple TV series, but I don't really understand some of the negative reviews. Adapting Foundation for the screen was always going to be a contentious issue, but I feel that they at least nailed the realisation of such an immense galactic empire of the far future. Other changes that might have annoyed people but didn't annoy me were the things like gender-bending some of the characters from male to female, twisting the timeline of events, and sexing up the story. Those were all fine because the original novel, and series of novels actually, like a lot of Isaac Asimov's writing, could be a little dry. So I think those changes work. I'm saying this both as a fan of Isaac Asimov's work and as a fan of Golden Age sci-fi. If you are a fan of neither of those and you're angry about this adaptation, why is that the case? If you are a fan of his work and a fan of Golden Age sci-fi, maybe you've got a leg to stand on, but just remember, things move on. When Isaac Asimov wrote Foundation so long ago, I'm sure people at the time would have complained that, hey, this is far too modern. Complaining about this stuff is not a new thing. What else can I say? Yeah, 9-11. There there is up-to-date contextual allegory, criticism of an almost omnipotent and vengeful military-industrial complex. I wonder who they could be talking about, as well as, of course, Isaac Asimov's take on the fall of the Roman Empire. In space! I just wanted to do that, sorry. It also maintains a sense of how alien the future can be. It makes me wait with bated breath for Denis Villeneuve's Dune. Oh man, I'm so looking forward to that. 
And on the subject of massive destruction and 9-11 allegories, that space elevator disaster scene is spectacular, but also very reminiscent of almost exactly the disaster in Ben Bova's Grand Tour novel Mercury from 2005, which I also highly recommend and have mentioned before. Also, was one of the terrorists saying something in Sanskrit? Showing a language user there in not such a positive light, but later on, when I talk about, in fact, in a few seconds, the lost symbol has a scene with some rather more benign Sanskrit speakers. <laughs> the lost symbol. Yes, I'm really enjoying the lost symbol, which is based on the titular Beach Read by Dan Brown. It has MacGuffin hunts, ludicrously contrived puzzles, action-adventure, mystery, your standard nutty supervillain, and Ashley Zuckerman, the actor from The Code, he played a hacker, which I also favourably reviewed on Crash, who is great as an unlikely adventuring boffin, Robert Langdon, the hero of quite a few of Dan Brown's novels. I believe Dan Brown is having some divorce issues at the moment. Maybe this will help pay for them. Because I'm really enjoying it. I really do love a crazy conspiracy theory type show. I'm a sucker for those. And this is one of them. I did have another show that I wanted to talk about that also had things related to crazy conspiracies, but I didn't get time to watch them this week, so I have to talk about that in another podcast. And finally, vaguely tangentially, Eddie Izzard, who is in The Lost Symbol. I want to know, is Eddie Izzard now typecasted as a limb-losing character? Remember his fate in Hannibal? Or am I missing anything? Missing anything like a limb? I, that wasn't deliberate, believe me. I don't know how that got into the show notes. Sorry, really pathetic joke there. That is it for film and TV. Let's move on to technology. I just bought a smartphone camera cage by the company Smallrig. It is the Smallrig 2791. Smallrig is a Chinese company regarded as the Apple of filmmaking accessories. And this smartphone camera cage, so far, is great. I bought it because I want to use my smartphone for filming. But I don't have a smartphone mount for a tripod. This is not the cheapest thing that you can use to mount a smartphone on a tripod. It cost £37.79 in the UK on Amazon, which is roughly four times the price of simpler mounts, but it is much sturdier and has threaded holes everywhere and a couple of cold shoes as well. 
So it's pretty damn future-proof. The next thing that I would like to buy to film myself for YouTube is a video light, but more on that in a future episode of Crash. If you have any recommendations for video lights, let me know. I'm looking for something that can do temperature, can really brightly light a scene, isn't too big, can also do RGB rather than having to rely on gels. Let me know if you're into YouTubing or you're a vlogger and you have some recommendations on some budget video lights. Next, camera spirit levels. Did you know you can actually buy cold shoe mounted spirit levels for your camera? I would caution against them because most surfaces are not flat, meaning that you actually want the camera a little off the horizontal for your pictures to look straight. Also, you may want to deliberately mess with the shooting angle. For example, skewing the camera up for a Mechon supervillain-like perspective that makes your forehead look bigger. You can see this used to good effect in the episode of The Big Bang Theory, The Vengeance Formulation. I think it's that episode. Any person who has ever hung a picture on the wall will know what I'm talking about. Because if you hang a picture perfectly level, sometimes it doesn't look right because houses are not level. I'm not saying don't buy a camera spirit level, but also check with your eyes. And in fact, camera spirit levels are very cheap, so perhaps it's something you want in your kit anyway. Just check with your eyes as well. On the other hand, if you're a record player owner, use a spirit level to make the turntable perfectly horizontal, as that is what turntables delicate balance mechanisms expect. You can even get a spirit level that goes right over the spindle at the center. And they're also very cheap. Spirit levels, incredibly useful, but also used with caution. The next thing, I'm back on the Shaw SM58. I'm not using my Behringer XM8500 this week. I'm giving the Shaw one more chance by taping this episode with it. If it lets me down again, I'm threatening with sending it off to eBay. The reason for that is I recently sat down and tested it yet again, and the results are that the SM58 does seem clearer and less clicky than my trusty old XM8500, but the last time I tried taping with it, there was extra hiss. I still don't know the reason for that. Perhaps it was a failure on my part in production or post-production, I'm just not sure, but tonight we are finding out. And I've got to say, if you're listening to this and saying to yourself, has this become an equipment podcast? No, it hasn't. At this stage, I'm sick to the back teeth of testing mics. I just want stuff to work so that I can make a better sounding podcast. Finally, booze trouble. Yes, I hopefully mentioned this at the top of the show, that 
I was going to come back to the subject of booze later on in this podcast, and trouble is afoot in the booze larders of me. Yes, I found out from my mum that a lot of booze is not vegetarian. When she first said that, I spluttered and we had a little argument. I thought, what the hell? Am I being encouraged to go dry? But no, apparently there is some mondo-dumbo process called clarification that requires animal blood. As a Hindu, not a particularly devout one, believe me. But still, this does not sit well with me. In fact... I was furious when it turned out that I was de-vegifying my boozy veggie soup by pouring in wine. And, by the way, what other way is there to imbibe soup? I mean, seriously, without booze, is soup soup? I read that some booze is vegetarian. I'm going to stop saying booze now. Alcohol. Alcoholic beverages. I read that some... Alcoholic beverages are vegetarian from a very useful site called barnivore.com. And also, what a great name for a site. (laughs) What a really great name. Ah, so I will seek out the wisdom of barnivore.com and then do a bit of double-checking and then restock my booze larders. Booze larders, there's a word for that. Bar. (laughs) Oh my god, I've been talking for hours. Let's have a look. No, no, 47 minutes, 10 seconds. Ah, I think my feet are about a size larger than when I started. I tape these shows standing up, because sitting down at a computer desk for almost an hour is absolutely murder on my backside and my back. Maybe I can find another place to sit down. Maybe a nice armchair or something next time. For now, that is it. The show that you just listened to is made by me, Roy Matur, a writer. Matur is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find more about me or get in touch at RoyMatur.com. If you want to help, please review and rate the show on whatever platform you listen. Recommend it to a friend if you love it or a mortal enemy if you hate it, or click on the contact or support link on the website. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. You were listening to Crash, Captain Roy's Rocket Radio Show, the UK Geek Podcast, for the science fiction, fantasy and horror enthusiast, and other geekly stuff too. This was episode 407, recorded on... Monday the 27th of September 2021 and the time at the end of the show is 23.51.33 Thanks for listening and bye bye for now. Bye!